Hello everyone, thank you for tuning in. For my regular guests, welcome back. I know it's been about a month since my last episode. I do apologize for the wait. I was out exploring the world and didn't have access to my recording studio. But today's episode is a real treat. Before I tell you about it, I want to make a few announcements. First, if you haven't already taken the best Udemy course online about healthcare and blockchain, you should check out the show notes for a link to the Udemy course for non-technical healthcare professionals. Don't hesitate to sign up. There is real value in understanding blockchain's potential impact in healthcare. Use my special discount promo code DOGUM2019 for 75% off the regular price of the course. Second, if you haven't already subscribed to Robert Miller's weekly newsletter, you really should. It highlights the best blockchain healthcare stories every single week, and there's a link to the newsletter in the show notes as well. Third, I'd like to announce that I will be moderating a really awesome panel at the Converge to Accelerate conference on October 15th in Boston. You should get your tickets to the conference today as it is slighted to be one of the best healthcare blockchain conferences of the year. Many of my podcast guests will be there and it will be a great opportunity to learn what's really happening in the market. If you use service code Health Unchained when checking out, you will be supporting the podcast, and I'd really, really appreciate it. My panel is called Medical Moonshots in Space, The Final Frontier, and I'll be speaking with Jinwei Kosis, assistant professor at Purdue University, who is researching blockchain technology to build new satellite security systems and communications architecture. Her project with NASA investigates the use of Ethereum and artificial intelligence involving deep learning techniques and fuzzy logic methods. I'll also be talking to Pierre-Alexander Fernier. He's the CEO of Hexoskin, and he's developed high-tech shirts with vitals tracking systems to provide insight to astronauts as well as people here on Earth. It's going to be a lot of fun, and we'll be doing a live demonstration of the Hexoskin shirt. And finally, I'd like you all to remember that the Health Unchained podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and we are not providing any sort of legal, financial, or medical advice. Please do your own research and due diligence before making any important decisions related to these matters. And now about today's episode, our guest is Elise Sam, who wears many hats, but I'd like to think of her as a badass crypto mom. She's an author of multiple books and articles on cryptocurrency. She has experience both as a nurse and as a patient. She's passionate about education and is a research scientist and editor at the World Ethical Data Forum. She's also the community manager at Women in Blockchain International. We talk about the purpose of blockchain in healthcare and also a little bit about stablecoins. I'm super excited to be back at this and now let's get to the show. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I'll be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? What is blockchain? What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Welcome to Health Unchained. Today's guest has quite an interesting personal story as well as a professional one. 
and she's agreed to discuss her experience here on the show today. Her Twitter status states she's a mom-trepreneur, nutritionist, nurse, and crypto lover. Elise Sam, thank you for joining me today, and I'm excited to start our conversation. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Ray. I really appreciate it. I've been uh, recommended to come on the show by several of our mutual friends, so I'm very excited to be here. Right, and a lot of my guests also wanted me to have you on the show, so this is a exciting for both of us today well they make me blush so (laughs) thank you i I appreciate that do you want to give them a quick shout out i i do natalie Furness and uh roxana are very 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 good friends of ours um uh roxana nicosas uh she does uh amadeus and she has spoken with you multiple times and helped grow your community she's like a sister to me so those girls are very active in women in blockchain and very close friends of mine and i love them so that's great and i know women in blockchain is very important to you uh, and to both natalie and roxana so i'm thinking maybe you could talk a little bit about women in blockchain as an organization uh, and then you know what your involvement is with women in blockchain and then we can get into more of you know your story as well Okay. Well, um, women in blockchain is kind of an umbrella term um, for the active women in blockchain, but there are different organizations under that umbrella term. Um, I actually am the community director of Women in Blockchain International, which is um, the CEO is Akasha and Dream. And uh, she sits as one of the top women in blockchain as well. Um, they are absolutely, all, all the women that are active in blockchain, it's a small community. It's very tight knit. And it seems like everybody is really kind. Um, like I said, there were many different organizations and a lot of us um, are scattered. There's 1,200 active women in blockchain right now, collectively. And uh, we tend to get together and work together on a lot of different projects and stuff. And that's why we are so close. Excellent. Awesome. Uh, As you know, my focus on the podcast is talking with people who are in blockchain, specifically in the healthcare field. And I was looking at your background and I saw that you were a a nurse, specifically a addiction treatment nurse, and you have some experience working at a hospice. So I kind of wanted to get more details on, you know, that experience and what you learned from that. Well, um, I did hospice nursing and home health nursing for 11 years, and um, I ran an addictions treatment center, a methadone clinic, actually, for uh, just under a year. I wasn't um, of the right heart to do addictions. I'm too sensitive, and um, it was really, really a struggle. So I stayed into hospice care, holistic medicine, until um, I was hit by a semi and um, flared up with an autoimmune disease. So I love nursing. I miss nursing, and to incorporate it into blockchain has been wonderful because with a spinal injury and some of the illness that I battled in my life, I felt like my career and my passion was taking away from me. But um, in doing nursing through technology, um, you know, with being active in women in blockchain and some of the blockchain um, medical projects that are um, appearing has allowed me to be a nurse again. And so that's providing care in a different way, but it's been really, really nice again. Wow, well, first I'd just like to thank you for your passion. Uh, because you know many people who 
maybe you would get sick or like you got hit by a semi. That's it's crazy. Many people <laughs> wouldn't have the energy or the you know ability to get up and do something positive for the world. So thank you for doing that. I mean, I appreciate that. I think a lot of other people also appreciate it. So um, good on you. That's really amazing. And I don't have the energy. Some of those girls I was mentioning get me out of bed every day and help me put on, you know, a little bit of concealer. So that's, <laughs> that's how we do that. <laughs> um, do you want to talk a little bit more about that experience, the accident, as well as um, the illness that you had? I think it's interesting because, you know, as a patient, you've gone through the medical system and many different aspects of it. So I'm sure you saw a lot of pain points in the medical system and maybe probably had tons of ideas about how to fix those problems, maybe using blockchain. I think pain points is an understatement there. (laughs) (laughs) I actually um, was very jaded after my experience as a patient, to be honest with you. Um, I was stopped at a red light and I was on a way to one of my girlfriend's houses for dinner. And um, a semi-truck just plowed into me and hit me into another semi-truck, actually. And it ended up being a seven-car pileup here in little Wichita, Kansas. And uh, my friends called. Uh, It was all over the news. There was no possible way that I was alive. My mother got a call, she said. And I actually was able to walk away from the accident. Um, And seeing the pictures, everybody's like, that's there's, there's no way there's just, there's no way. And I just believe, you know, the universe, God was there and providing for me and helped me walk away. So I, long story short, I went to the hospital. Um, and I, uh, I ended up having a a broken clavicle and I have a metal plate there now. And then I have seven discs in my spine. My neck is fused together in three separate places and then they wanted to actually fuse my lower lumbars together as well, but I wouldn't allow it um, because it caused more pain than it helped. And I was really frustrated by that as a nurse because I figured if you went through a spinal surgery that you should have less pain, you know? And um, I, I didn't, and that I had so much pain, it actually ended up flaring up an autoimmune disease. I have lupus and rheumatoid. Mm-hmm. And from there, I just, I started to lose a bunch of weight. Um, I lost my job. I actually got fired as a nurse. Um, and it was devastating to me because I provided such excellent care and my patients and stuff are still in contact with me today. Their families are mm-hmm. still in contact. And so it broke my heart and I felt like the medical community just left me. And living in America, if you're not working, and you don't have health insurance, right. those, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to survive. So again, long story short, I uh, reached out to industry leaders in blockchain because I was a cryptocurrency nerd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I loved Bitcoin and I'm one of the kids that grew up with no friends on IRC. So I <laughs> um, was familiar with a uh, digital currency pretty early on. And uh, I just decided that if I wanted to go somewhere and I honestly didn't want to live my life as a hobo, then I needed to just start studying. And I did. I reached out to industry leaders like Dimitri Butin, um, a blockchain, a block geeks. And, uh, he sent me everything, um, that he taught Vitalik 
And so I started studying my little tail off and trying to make a career out of whatever we do in blockchain, right. which is still not um, verse. It's, it's not clear these days yet. Yeah, a lot of the work I think you do is trying to bring awareness about technology and trying to teach people how it can be used, um, you know, in a general sense, not just for healthcare purposes, but also financial and gaining your ownership or rights to your own data. Yeah, that, that, yeah, I actually am. I work at the World Ethical Data Forum as well, and we are really big on owning your own data. And I actually just booked uh, Brittany Kaiser. So she will be taking her own your own data campaign and um, speaking at that. So yeah, it's, it's huge. And that also um, topples over to the medical community. You know, what medical records belong to the patients and the nurses and who can have access to them. So I believe blockchain is terribly, it, it's just going to disrupt the medical field. And it should because there are so many inconsistencies, um, breach of security, um, points of failure in medicine. And I really think that um, our technology is going to enhance that and increase um, overall wellness in patients and also some of the frustration that some of us medical professionals have experienced with paperwork. <laughs> right. Medical professionals and patients. I mean, I feel like everyone who touches the industry is, is, has issues. Even people in the administrative side of healthcare often have uh, pain points to say understated but um you know it's a problem for many different stakeholders i think i definitely agree absolutely when you said you know you work at this uh world data ethical forum and i think that's really important but tell the audience why it is important to own their own data because i feel like a lot of people still don't appreciate or understand why owning your data ma matters that much um, I, I, we're just so used to having Google and Facebook and Amazon kind of like handle everything, but we are missing, you know, the point of data ownership or, or what's the purpose of it? Well, um, I think, let's see, I'll get, I'm going to give an example because there's always a, a moment where everybody's like, oh, and it just clicks, you know, you're like, why do you need all this extra technology? What's wrong with, you know, the writing and the shorthand that we used to do? Well, I do um, expert opinions on medical cases. And I'm here to tell you, uh, every time I've gone to a deposition and I go through notes and stuff, there are misspelled words. There is inaccurate data. Um, there's, I find medication errors in almost every case that I've worked, which is horrible and terrible. And dangerous um, too, I'm sure. Yeah. And I just started to think about it very early on when I was um, trying to understand, you know, what Bitcoin was. <laughs> I was trying to figure out the technology and it just kind of dawned on me, wow, you know, this technology could be used to save so many lives. Think about it. Um, if a patient had a watch or, you know, could upload all their information to their phone and just take it to the emergency room when they had to visit, mm -hmm. you know, how many errors are there going to be if their medication list is there and it's updated and they went to the doctor last week? You know, there's going to be so many lives saved. Um, I have children in my family that have terrible peanut allergies. And if we could just 
scan a QR and have all those medical records, nobody's going to die on a plane from, you know, a peanut allergy. So we face things like diabetic ketoacidosis and people will black out and we have no reason why. And if patients own their own data and it was widely available to first responders, I, I can't even tell you how many deaths would be prevented. I agree. Do you think that, you know, that's a great idea, I think, but do you think it's not being adopted as fast as we both want it to because is it because people don't understand it or is it just because people are lazy or is it the, is it too expensive? Like what is the reason people aren't wearing or they don't have, you know, wearable devices that can send information via RFID or NFC or Bluetooth or, or whatever. Is it, what is what do you think the reason is for that? Is it just like a technology adoption curve that we're just going to have to go through? I mean, we are just developing this technology, and you and I are futurists. So mm. we we are living within this technology that we're discussing, and a lot of people aren't. Um, it seems like everybody in our industry is an intelligent influencer, which I hate that term so much. <laughs> But I mean, that's what it is because we are marketing a new technology. And if you think about it, a lot of the healthcare is within the baby boomers right now. And how hard is it to pitch to somebody that's 80, 90 years old that hasn't had this technology their entire life and you tell them why they need it now? And mm -hmm. um, it they they just don't feel it's necessary. So yes, the costs are there. Um, why are they going to pay for that extra service if they've never, you know, had, if they've never stroked out in the middle of uh, Target, you know, why, why are they going to do that? I think it does have a lot to do with mass adoption, um, cost and um, marketing. A lot of people are afraid of some of the technology that we are advertising and that we are affiliated with. Uh, a lot of people don't like AI. Um, but it is time to learn it. It is time for us to discuss it because it is the future and the future is here. Speaking about AI, what applications do you think are like the lowest hanging fruit for AI in the, the healthcare space? <laughs> yeah, like what is, what what application can we use now with AI or what kind of like, is it, you know, getting better medical treatments? Is it drug discovery? Is it just like patient scheduling? Like what is the... Well, I'm in Kansas. And so we have literally nothing here. We have Alexa. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Google. No. <laughs> No. Amazon, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That yeah. I, I know when my deliveries are here. No. Yeah. But um, honestly, like, some of the the greatest technology that I've seen um, more recently in the medical field in reference to AI has been the robotics for surgery. Hmm. Um, we have I don't know if many people have read about the Da Vinci robot um, hmm. that does the very tiny um, surgical incisions, but it's increased healing by over eighty to ninety percent in patients, and so. Um, when people tell me that they're afraid of technology and that they're afraid of those things, I mean, it gives a steady hand. Like it, it, it truly is patients needing to be more educated, honestly. 
Um, as far as there, there's so many different things that AI can use. In fact, I was showing my mom otter.io, mm -hmm. um, the recording device that is AI. And, um, I mean, that can be used for patient charting because it's extremely accurate and it learns the medical professional, um, dictation. And so you're not going to have those errors in charts. AI is extremely beneficial and you just have to learn it and you just have to be cautious with it. And that's what people are not seeing. Interesting. So what do you think currently is the most important social problem? like in society uh, that you're you know, most concerned with right now? In society? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, honestly, education and the price of education. Hmm. Um, I feel like um, I could potentially have eight PhDs if I didn't grow up so horribly poor <laughs> and didn't pay for my own college all the way through, you know? Um, I, I believe in a decentralized education and that's why I embraced um, blockchain technology and that's why I wanted to become very active in women in blockchain and that's why I am obsessed with our industry um, is because I feel like if we can provide an avenue for ed education, we can solve so many social and economic issues all over the world. Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. Last month, Hashed Health published part two of their series on enterprise adoption of blockchain and distributed ledger technology in healthcare. They listed the seven major consortiums in the space and also identified the major trends that are gaining traction in the industry. The seven major consortiums are, one, Synaptic Health Alliance, which is one of the first in April 2018 and probably the most well-known collection of healthcare and business partners and they include Aetna, Ascension, Humana, Multiplan, Quest Diagnostics, United Healthcare, Optum, and Cognizant. Two is the Professional Credentials Exchange which is a physician identity and credentials exchange network established in November 2018 and it includes WellCare, Spectrum Health, Texas Hospital Association, Anthem National Government Services, Accenture, and others. I actually interviewed the CEO, Anthony Bigando, of Professionals Credentials Exchange, and you could listen to it on episode 31. Other networks include Health Utility Network, the Coalesce Network, Remedy Chain, MediLedger, and Melody. I encourage you all to check out the link for the full Hashed Health newsletter in my show notes. Many believe that blockchain technology is still too premature, but these are real-world examples of organizations making the conscious decision of investing their time and resources into distributed ledger technology. This is the future. Don't get left behind. If you still don't understand the purpose of blockchain in healthcare, that's okay. That's what I'm here for. That's why the Health Unchained Telegram community is here for. Right now, we can't imagine a world without the internet. In the future, we won't be able to imagine a world without blockchain. And uh, so now let me get off my soapbox here and transition back to our episode with Elise Sam from Women in Blockchain. What are some of the goals of Women in Blockchain? I know we talked about this a little bit, but I think it's awesome because this is a real community. You said over 1,200 people internationally, so 
everyone is doing something like very active. These are not passive people. What are the top goals in 2019 or, or next year of this organization? And how can people actually get involved? Uh, well, we want adoption, as you do, as everybody in our industry does. Um, so, and when you say adoption, do you mean just like Bitcoin adoption, or what does that mean? We mean overall blockchain technology adoption. A lot of businesses are signing on, uh, and th and that's just the thing. That's where there's a lack of education. People hear blockchain technology, and they they automatically go to, oh my gosh, well that's just a cryptocurrency, right? That's mm -hmm. that Bitcoin thing, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and then people will go off on that, and they don't see the underlying technology and how, like we discussed previously, how it can help security, how it does allow you to have your own records. Um, and, and so many other applications, gosh, just sending in billing statements to the state would make blockchain technology incorporates that so effortlessly, like it just makes life so much easier. Um, and that that's the type of adoption that we want to see. We don't want to necessarily push these digital currencies and stuff because they there's only less than 5% of the globe that uses them. So we don't want to screw up the market, you know, with um, meaningless trading and whatnot. We want to actually understand that technology and we want to educate people on that technology so that they can trust digital currencies. And um, that is one of the biggest goals for the next couple of years when it comes to women in blockchain and blockchain technology in general, I personally feel. Now, some will argue that statement, but that's my personal opinion. <laughs> what would others say? What would others want to accomplish that's different than what you're saying, do you think? I, I'll, I've seen a lot of people want to push regulation with digital currencies, mm. and I feel that that needs done too. I wrote a book on stable coins, and I've heard a lot about that recently. And um, people find it very surprising that I'm, because <laughs> I'm one of the only people that I, I am. I have the only book about stable coins right now, and people are like, "Oh, that's great. Would you like to be an advisor for my upcoming stable?" I'm like, "No, I'm not actually a fan." And, so, and I think uh, it, it just has to do, it takes away some of the decentralization. And um, I, a lot of people are right now pushing for regulation and stuff because they feel like that, that's going to help mass adoption. And, and they're really, really set on developing new technologies. And I think that we just need to nurse the technologies that are existing right now. So can you provide some more detail on what a stable coin is and a little bit more information on what's inside your book? Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, there was not a lot of information on stable coins. And so I decided to get as much information as I could on every stable coin imaginable and all the different technologies. And so I wrote a book that broke down the five different um, types of stable coins and, and it scientifically goes through and it tells you what each stable coin is backed by. It tells you um, why it's termed that way because there are um, there's fiat backed stable coins and there's algorithm backed stable coins and there's all different and then there's hybrids and there's all different types. And so I've broken each one down for the very average person 
to understand and make it very simple because it seems like a lot of people in our industry, they like to use fancy words and they like to talk as much as possible and sound super intelligent. And I think mass adoption is going to come when we start writing books like this and we say, well, here's exactly what it is in very simple terms. So that's what I tried to bring. And it's also very short. It's only 45 pages. So I try to educate as quickly, efficiently as possible. And I think I did that in our book. So I will give you or any of your listeners a free copy and they can just contact either one of us and they're welcome to it because I love that decentralized education, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, my pleasure. What, what are your thoughts on LibraCoin then? Uh, it is a stable coin and Facebook and friends are making it and the idea is to have fiat currencies backing it as well as some bonds and things like that? Yeah, Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> and I are super friends. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I'm actually, I, I'm not the biggest supporter of Facebook, um, but the Libra coin, actually, if you read the white paper, is an excellent idea. I, it was shut down by the government um, because they do fear that this cryptocurrency will literally take over all the other economic, um, all the other economic structures in the world. And that's terrifying to a lot of people that Facebook has that much power. Um, the white paper is extremely well written. Um, it's, it's done very well. Um, it, I think stable coins are going to be the link to mass adoption to cryptocurrencies. I think it, uh, for some people it's a necessary evil. And, um, yeah. I think Libra would lie within those lines there. I don't like the fact that they are starting their own foundation, the Cal Libra Foundation, to audit their coin. I don't think that that's moral, and I think that they should reevaluate that, and that's the one thing that I would change with them. Yeah, and I think the reason you say stablecoins could be that bridge between uh, the current fiat system and the potential future cryptocurrency system where you know, these tokens or cryptocurrencies can fluctuate in value based on what people think they're worth. So it's like market-based pricing. Um, and, you know, I get that. And I think there's some value in the fact that the prices of those cryptocurrencies do go up and down because it creates incentives for people to either want to hold on to it, use it, sell it. So it creates that dynamic. Um, but I also understand how some people would rather have a currency that doesn't fluctuate too much in value because then they'll they'll know that they could feed their kids the next day without having to you know fork over double or quadruple the amount of currency as yesterday right, um, right? that's i think the reason for stable coins at the moment yeah, it's a really good reason. And you, I mean, you've argued with people outside of our industry, I'm sure. And they always say, well, I, I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of investors tell me, well, I only buy gold. I only invest in gold. <laughs> well, you know, now I actually have an answer for that because you can invest in gold and still own digital currencies because there are a lot of gold back and diamond back and silver back stable coins right now. And so... It is. It definitely is a bridge to adoption because, it, well, like we say in Kansas, you can have your cake and eat it too with stable coins. You can have your gold at, and it can be backed 
uh, by gold fiat and you have your digital currency as well. So um, I think stable coins are just there to make people happy for the time being. And I hope that's what it is because I, I live for the decentralization. You know, that's that's what's important to me. Yeah, if anything, it's getting the conversation going with stablecoins, so that's okay. But you mentioned gold and diamond-backed cryptocurrencies. Wouldn't you still need like a central authority that would manage the physical gold and diamonds? So you still have to trust that central authority. So it's not completely decentralized, right? And that's where the problem with um, stablecoins are. As they, if they are audited correctly, there is a centralized bank or vault or um, nonprofit sometimes or some type of entity that does control all the reserve. And that's where um, people like Tether got in trouble, you know, um, is because they were not being honest. Now, stable coins are going to be great because if a few companies go in there and they can show that transparency within those vaults uh, and within those centralized entities, then I think more people will sign on to decentralized digital currencies like Ether and uh, Bitcoin and some of the others. But like I said before, you know, um, stable coins are not technically decentralized because they have to have that reserve that audit you know there ha there is something backing them so who is left to count that it's usually somebody that you may or may not trust and that's that's exactly why i'm not 100 percent a fan of stable coins have you done research on die or um, like maker dow oh yeah yeah maker dow yeah it's in my book absolutely interesting um, and that is a stable coin too, or they have a stable coin as part of their like architecture. Yes, as a part of it. Mm -hmm. They do. Are you a fan? <laughs> uh, I'm just a bystander here trying to learn. I don't, I, you know, I don't put a lot of weight on anything. I'm just trying to understand everything. So it's still, I feel like too early to really bid on anything except maybe like Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, but that's kind of my take on the industry. I think there are a lot of cool ideas that are going out in the in the market, but it's still very early. I think, you know, me working in the healthcare technology field, I see what it takes for new technology to become adopted, and it takes a lot of effort and a lot of trust in the new technology for it to become adopted. So, um, yeah, I'm just kind of on the sidelines, but learning and providing people with facts, or at least that's what I hope I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's, as a scientist, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to ensure that the education is transparent, provided and accurate. And then I want people to make their own decisions. I don't want them to base their needs for their family, for their health care, or for their financial needs off of my personal opinion. Agreed. So, you did mention you are a nutritionist as well, and I'm just curious what your favorite food is. Well, I got a certification in nutrition um, off of my nursing degree, and um, I've I've lived somewhat of an interesting life because I tend to do things full throttle. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted uh, to learn about nutrition because I was um, over 370 pounds. <laughs> 
and yeah. and you look um, great right now so i wouldn't even believe that if you weren't personally telling me yourself well i will i will show you a photo because i definitely liked my cheeseburgers and cake and so um my favorite foods now have definitely changed because i got my certification in nutrition to enhance my own health because I wanted to have a family and I wanted to be around for them. And I'm not young anymore. I'm in my mid thirties and, uh, I've, uh, still lost. very young. I'll say, <laughs> well, I I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> so we're, uh, I'm trying to preserve. So we'll see as, uh, the medical technology and AI advances, we'll see, uh, what lies in our future of looking young. <laughs> right. As far as uh, nutrition goes, I'm actually plant-based now um, after being paleo uh, pre-taking my nutrition classes. And I found that for me personally, it's not for everybody, but for me personally, it helped my pain and my autoimmune disease. Um, I flared up very badly with rheumatoid and lupus symptoms. And um, when I remain plant-based, it reduces the inflammation and actually retards the disease a little bit. So I've had uh, enormous benefits and I had real bad acne and you can see now that my face is very clear mm -hmm. and I've just really enjoyed studying nutrition and being a huge plant-based advocate and cook now. So it's, it's been, it's been fun and I've lost over, let's see, over 250 pounds. So that's amazing. I, I did read part of your medium posts and you had a condition called hyper hypermesis gravidarum and it's mm -hmm. a pretty rare condition from what I understand and I was trying to understand more about it but can you kind of tell me what happens when you get that disease or how you get it in the first place too? Sure. Um, hyperemesis gravidarum is actually uh, a, a very rare disorder uh, complication during pregnancy. Um, it, it, they just found, actually I was in a study at UCLA for it. Um, it's in 0.5 to 1% of pregnancies. Um, it's related to uh, our autoimmune diseases. So if you have um, one of the 213 autoimmune diseases that are listed, um, you potentially could have a complicate, the complication of hyperemesis gravidarum. And what it is, is it's basically um, your body is pretty much allergic to pregnancy. Um, you literally will throw up and just have projectile vomiting until the baby is dismissed or expelled from your body. It's your body trying to self abort in a lot of cases. And, wow. um, I had a pretty severe case, um, after my car wreck, obviously. And, um, they asked me to abort my child three times and we, we wouldn't do it. We just didn't feel like it was the best option. Um, he's 18 months old now, our, my baby. And he, uh, is, is wonderful. There's no problems wrong with him, but I was on a pick line. I had feeding tubes. I ended up having four stomach surgeries postpartum oh my gosh. and, um, my pre-pregnancy weight was about 150 pounds at five foot 10 and I got down to 88 pounds. So wow. I lost 46% of my body weight. Um, but we are survivors. And now that he's 18 months old, I just recently, um, within the last two months gained, my weight back. Like I'm, I'm 120 pounds now. So. Wow. That's amazing. That's, that's really incredible against all odds. Um, 
Uh, seriously, I think your strength is an inspiration to many people. So, you know, thank you for doing all of this and putting yourself out there. I really don't think many people would have the strength and courage to do this. So it means a lot. Well, thank you. I didn't have a choice because <laughs> it was kind of a public battle. So huh. I decided to take it like a trooper and just manifest great greatness and have the best possible outcome imaginable. And all of my dreams are coming true and the baby's healthy. So I don't think I don't regret anything. I'm really happy to hear that the baby's also healthy. That's great. Yeah, he's so cute too. <laughs> That's a bonus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Um, so this is kind of an interesting question I asked some of my guests, and it has to do with the future a little bit. But if you were to have a microchip implanted in your body, um, what would you want it to do, and where would you want it to be implanted? Oh, man, it's going to have to be in the wrist because, I mean, that's the easiest place to QR anything. Sure. And, um, oh, I want it to have a lot of information. I mean, with blockchain technology, we can incor incorporate so many, so much information in there. You can stick your resume in there. You can stick all your medical records in there. Um, I mean, there you can stick notes. You can ha have applications on your phone that are necessary for you to carry around with you. Uh, I honestly would be that person that wanted to buy the extra storage and just keep putting things on their chip so that I was always prepared for everything. Um, but I honestly, and, and I'm not saying this just because this is a medical driven show, but your medical records are the most important thing that's going to be on there, especially if you have any type of ailment or um, family history of anything. I've seen patients in, you know, the 11 years of my nursing career have some of the most random, craziest symptoms. And if they carried around their family history, you would know that, you know, uncle so-and-so had a really crazy, weird disease and, you know, and you have all the symptoms of that. That's important to know. And that information is, it needs to be with you at all times. And that's why you need to own your own data. That's why this technology is important. And that's why all of us in this industry have become stupid influencers. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when you say the, how blockchain is important for this uh, technology or for microchips, it's because it allows someone to have a secure way to manage the data. So it's not like on a cloud that a company right. has control over. It's actually in a decentralized storage system, potentially, and only you actually have storage or only you have access to giving others permission to use it. Um, but right. your peanut allergy might be, for example, publicly known you can provide that level of information but you wouldn't necessarily want to have everything else uh, publicly known no no um i mean there's a lot of things that are taboo that you don't want people to know um a lot of people um, struggle with mental health and they don't want that widely available but if you know you're blacked out on a on a plane and, um, you know, the flight attendants or the doctor that's sitting in the seat next to you doesn't have any history on it. I mean, you could just have horrible anxiety and, you know, blacked out or it could be something very, very serious. And to have the, that medical information at access is great. And through smart contracts, you know, that technology is protected and it can be shared with you 
or, you know, with the doctor, or, you know, with medical responders. There, there's so many things that we can code into that technology that the future is going to bring a lot of great things and it's, it's going to save a lot of lives. I'm very excited about the future of technology in the medical field because it's just, it's going to enhance everybody, everybody from the nurse to the patient to the doctor to billing. Yeah, no, I agree. And researchers, I think all over the place, it'll be positive. Oh, don't get me started on that. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> oh man, because we, we need decentralized research. Yeah. I mean, uh, who I, when you read a medical study, uh, I don't think the average person knows that a lot of times that was paid for by a big tech company or a big corporation or a pharmaceutical company that wants certain results. So as a scientist, you know, I've been asked, you know, can you give this opinion? And there's not a lot of people that will say, uh, no, I think I'll go ahead and pass up this $400,000 to write this. <laughs> so, you know, um, that, that needs to be known. Yeah, and there are a few companies, actually many companies, trying to work on this. I know one in particular is Science Distributed. Um, I think I think they're doing a pretty good job getting the word out there on their solution. Um, I don't know if you have any others you want to mention or talk about. I know uh, a lot of the stuff that I'm personally involved in has to do with um, ethical data information. And so I am associated with uh, three different campaigns that go with owning your own data. Um, and that goes around um, that type of, it goes around that. Sorry. So you mentioned how important mental health is to, you know, how the privacy of your mental health is important. And in America right now, we are going through the opioid crisis. And it's a problem for many families, communities. And many startups have tried creating solutions to address this problem. Do you think that blockchain will be able to assist in this? And if you do, how do you think so? Oh, it's absolutely going to benefit um, everybody that has to deal with the opioid crisis. I mean, think about it. If we can get pharmacies and physicians on this technology, these patients will have more of accountability because you see um, people that are sick like that go to different doctors because they, they are in horrible amounts of pain. And whether that be mental or physical, these people are hurting. And so they are running to different doctors and they are getting scripts and then they're going to different pharmacies and they're filling those things. And that's liability, not only on the medical professional that's writing those scripts because they don't know, you know, what else that patient has, they can be held responsible for that. Mm -hmm. um, with our, if we incorporate our technology, um, a patient won't be able to do that. There will be a lot of accountability. And that, again, is going to save a lot of lives, even though they might not really be happy with that, unfortunately. And and that's just one small way, you know, um, that that's going to help the mental health. Uh, there's a decentral, you can um, employ decentralized um, meetups. And, you know, there, there's just so many things that you can do with this technology. And we are just learning the technology. It's brand new. It's not, it's 10 years old. Mm -hmm. So the way that we can implement, implement it into the medical field is just beginning. Right. I agree. The accountability 
that blockchain offers is really important. Um, but then I also think if people aren't able to get their scripts, their you know their um, oxycontin scripts, they're just gonna go on the street. So that's what I'm kind of afraid of. Um, if we did implement that technology, and I'm wondering if you had any thoughts on that, like people can just go and find you know black market heroin or, or whatever. Or well, pills. I mean, pharmacologically speaking, uh, that heroin and meth and all of that is morphine so i mean we are prescribing that to those patients so i mean there's going to be a catch-22 no matter what is if somebody's a drug seeker they're going to find a drug um i've had patients working in that field you know they didn't have access to anything so you know they would drink they would go to the um the store and they would get like bottles of rubbing alcohol and drink it. Like um, somebody that has an addiction is going to find an addiction, you know, to serve. And it may not even be with medication. It there, you know, they've gone to um, there's other things like, you know, sex or, um, you know, they follow entertainment or, you know, there's, there's just other avenues that an addict is going to seek. So we can sit there and say that, um, well, if we implement this technology that's going to help them, they'll find some other avenue to destroy their lives. And as medical professionals, we do want to take responsibility for that, but we actually, we can't. Mm-hmm. No, that's a really good answer, I think. Um, and I think one way to really help them is form these meetups and join them with a the conversation. Because I think that's one of the things that truly does help, connecting with people, being able to empathize with these individuals uh, goes a long way i think and it has nothing to do with you know chemicals it's just a human interaction well I, it does have to do with chemicals too because when you're meeting those needs you are releasing endorphins true. and you yeah. are giving them a medication i guess and artificial chemicals but yeah I, I, you're yeah. right it's true yeah absolutely and so in having those conversations with your patient you know uh say that the technology is implemented and the patient tries to fill um xyz at this pharmacy and this one well being the medical professional reaching out and saying hey you know we can't do that that's not good why don't you come in and talk to me because it sounds like you know you're having some pain because what you're doing, you know, we've discussed this and having those conversations It a lot of times people will think that they will immediately go to the street. But when you're reaching out, they are asking for help. So in meeting those needs um, through technology and then following up with a human interaction, you're meeting those needs a lot better than writing any script. Agreed. Agreed. A uh, few more questions, kind of like wrapping this up, I think. What is one of your favorite or most important books that you've read? Oh, man. My very favorite of all time is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Hmm. And that is perfect for every everybody. He invented logotherapy, which is seeing the best um, experience no matter what you're going through. Um, he was a medical physician who uh, survived the concentration camps. Um, he passed away in the 90s, and I wish that I had the opportunity to meet him because after I read his book, um, I stopped feeling sorry for myself, and I started to 
say, you know what? Well, yeah, you have an autoimmune disease, but that's not the end of your life. Um, you can't be a nurse. That's fine. That's not the end of your life. And so many opportunities arose and it literally came from the inspiration of that book. Very cool. I have not read that one, but thanks for mentioning it. I'll look it up. You better put that on your homework to do yeah. list. <laughs> Being in the medical field, you need that. Yeah. Um, who was your favorite scientist, either alive now or in the past? Well, that's not fair because this is probably everybody's favorite scientist, but Madame Curie, of course. She uh, she was the first Nobel Prize uh, female chemist to uh, be awarded that, but sadly she died by her own invention, so I hope that that's not our case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I love her, but I would like not to follow in her footsteps. How about right. that? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, very good. Um, I'd kind of just like to wrap up. If you have any other final things you want to share with the audience, uh, maybe how they can connect with you or with a woman in blockchain. Sure. Yeah. Um, we do uh, Women in Blockchain International. We do some mentoring. You can visit um, me on any of my social media links or visit um, any of my articles. I write for 13 different magazines in the space and have a couple of books. And so um, anything that I can help with you guys uh, education wise, I, I would love to. So you guys can have access to anything and everything that you wish. Awesome. It was really nice talking to you. I thank you so much for sharing your story. I think this is great because now I think, uh, you know, everyone else will be able to, you know, all the other listeners that I have will be able to listen to your story, learn from it, connect, and the community shall continue to grow. Oh, I definitely hope so. Thank you so much. I'm sorry that I'm shy. Um, so, but no, I've not been, at all. <laughs> I've enjoyed this thoroughly. So thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you in the future and working together. So thank you. Hey, all you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org. And remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group, t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.